This is Spinal Crap, the podcast about living well with a spinal cord injury. Remember, if you heard it on This is Spinal Crap, it's probably not medically correct, so always check with your spinal unit or an appropriate medical professional. This is Spinal Crap, sponsored by Colorplast, providing effective solutions for bladder and bowel management. Hi everybody and welcome to a very special episode of This is Spinal Crap. Today is special because Gracie and I have kicked the boys out of the studio and it's girls only. Hey Grace. Doing it for the women. (laughs) Yeah. We both have a bit of a bee in our bonnet about women's issues and being a woman with a spinal cord injury and we did promise some more girl talk so today is the day. We've brought in a few awesome women to join the chat. So first of all we have the lovely Lindsay Leggett. Hello. Hi, Lindsay. Lindsay works as an independent living advisor for Aspire and she's a mum with a T6 complete spinal cord injury. Lovely to have you here, Lindsay. We also have with us Sharon Wood. Hello. Sharon is a clinical nurse specialist in neurology and sexual function, which in our language means she's a specialist nurse in bladder and sex. (laughs) Uh, So she's going to share with us uh, some of her wisdom and knowledge. Delighted to be here. So, ladies, I'm glad that we're all here. And I think, Grace, is this the show that we've been most looking forward to? Yes, for sure. For sure. Any show without the boys, I think. Yeah, (laughs) it's a good one. So we did a, a show in the first series about sex and relationships which we kind of realised afterwards was quite a lot more about the boys than it was about the girls. So we says, right, we'll have our own show. Yeah, we'll just send them off. They can go have fun though. Watch football or what are they going to do this I Sunday? think Chelsea are playing, so ah, okay. you know, that'll keep Chris happy. Um, Grace, you mentioned after that episode that you didn't think there was enough discussion about women with SCIs, not just on our podcast, but in general within the SCI community. So this is probably our little way of tipping the balance. Yeah, I mean, I think things have changed, which is, is great, but I think there's still a gendered bias in medicine and science in general. And I understand that the demographics are that 10% of women have spinal cord injuries, but I still think it's really important and there's not enough research and there's not enough, there's not enough talking about it, basically. This is where we get really lucky that we have Sharon with us today. <laughs> Sharon, I am fascinated by your master's degree. Well, I've always been interested in how people relate to health about themselves and compliance concordance with treatment. So I did a master's in medical anthropology um, while I was also working and I focused all my studies and essays and my research towards those people I look after, as in my spinal cord injury patients. And my research was looking and talking to women who'd had children after their spinal cord injury, also to healthcare professionals, case managers, and looked at the wider research on disability from an anthropological perspective. But I'm hoping that my research will then form a booklet and a guide for my ladies so that they can take with them during their pregnancy to their obstetric clinics, midwife, and also present on the delivery ward to say, this is who I am, this is my disability, and this is what you need to be aware of as part of what is a very natural state of health, which is pregnancy. That's just fascinating. That's brilliant, yeah. So interesting. You know, just before the show started and we were kind of having a quick chat about all the different areas we wanted to cover, we could probably do a whole series on women's issues, but we'll try and fit as many points in as we can. I know, Grace, I want to hear your story about your coil. (laughs) (laughs) So when I got home and then my period started again, I was like, I'm sick of this. I hate it because uh, for me, 
getting my period means my spasms just increase, my nerve pain increases. I just generally feel a bit more shits, basically. So I wanted to, you know, try and do something about that and also just to be on a contraceptive. So I was recommended the coil. So I went to get the coil, got it in, knew there was something wrong. I could feel like it had moved or something. And the doctor, I went back and the doctor was like, no, I'm sure it hasn't, I'm sure it hasn't. Did an ultrasound, obviously it had. And so he was like, okay, I'll take it out. So it's, it's this very, very awkward, kind of older gentleman, doctor. And he's he's there, kind of, I don't know to describe this. I'm in the, my legs are in the stirrups. His head is um, facing me and he's <laughs> he's got his hand about to take the coil out. And of course, my legs decide that this is the best time to just freak out. So they they kind of extend out and then they just hit him in the face, either side. <laughs> so both my feet were just like squashing his head and his fa- oh his face was just priceless I'll never forget the expression on his face like a foot sandwich anyway. so that was a bit traumatic so I decided to do the the hormonal implant in the in the arm because I just was like nope I don't want any more any more hands down there and yeah <laughs> I, I think it's really interesting things like getting a coil inserted or especially if you get have spasms Lindsay you were talking about that as well yeah so prior to my injury I had I was on the contraceptive pill and after my injury they said that it was probably not a good idea to stay on it because obviously it can cause blood clots and um, inflammation so I decided to go for the contraceptive coil uh, the mari- sorry, the marina is it? <laughs> the marina coil dislodged, so I started having heavy bleeding and blood clot. So I went in and they removed it, and then I decided. Obviously, I've already got my two children, so I didn't want any more children. Um, so I decided to have something done um, where I had the lining of my uterus removed and my fallopian tubes cauterized. The medical term for that is endometrial ablation, and. That stopped my periods completely. So I haven't had any periods for six years. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, amazing because that was a bit of a nightmare when South That's amazing started. if you've made the decision to not have more children. Yes, yeah. yeah. Obviously, I can't fall pregnant now, so I don't need any contraceptive pills. So I'd like to make a point about periods and how if you do have periods with the spinal cord injury, I think they recommend against tampons just because you can forget maybe that it's in there and you you know there's dangers with leaving tampons in longer but what i found was brilliant is there's this american company called thinks that thinks with an x at the end and they're like underwear they look they're really nice they're like lace underwear but they've got this kind of padding um so they're really environmentally friendly too because they just soak up the blood and then you just put it in the wash and easy done Um, so yeah yeah they're brilliant i think there's some english companies as well that that um do it Yeah, because I remember at the beginning being told not to use tampons and I was like, well, and then you're told not to use pads. And what what is it I'm supposed to use? (laughs) I just use the tampons. I think you can use anything you want to use as long as you remember to remove it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is going back to the spasms or going back to um, medical examinations. um, Sharon, do you find a lot of women, especially women with higher level injuries, how do their injuries affect them being able to have, you know, certain examinations like smears or anything like that? My biggest concern is that they'll get forgotten and that by their GPs or their practice nurses because they'll be seen too difficult. So it's about what I like to do is promote my patients advocating themselves to say, 
I am entitled to have health screening just like anybody else mm-hmm. like their breast screening, also mammograms, cervical smears. And if it can't be done in your local GP practice, then your local gynaecology department at a district general hospital will be able to perform it because okay. they are competent to do it and they've got all the labs set up for looking at the smears correctly so you don't get false negatives. Yeah. And with the mammograms as well, they can, a lot of them can be height adjusted so you can wheel up in your chair. But it's about potentially having to source those areas yourself as opposed to relying necessarily on your GP or practice nurse that may not actually be aware. Okay, so it's about research again. Would you recommend, say with your patients, would would you be able to point them in the right direction of where to go for stuff like that? It would be lovely to say yes, but my patients cover the majority of the country. Right. So (laughs) not just local to Stanmore, but definitely I'd be very willing to help them with their local hospital to say, right, this is your local hospital with a gynae department. This is who you can get in contact with. On the subject of smears, you know I love a silver lining. I'm always looking for silver linings. And that was the one good thing about loss of sensation. So when I had to go and get my smear, I was just like, yep, off you go, love. (laughs) So no problem, it's fine. Um, Talking about sensation, though, I mean, the loss of sensation is a traumatic thing. I don't think it's spoken about enough and I don't think it's really addressed. Mostly in a medical setting, in hospitals and things like that, it it was kind of overlooked and it's really only later on that anybody actually talks to you about it. Uh, just to let you know as well, when I have a smear, because my legs spasm so much, I use something called a leg spreader. You can get them from Manfred Sowers. And I also use that for when I do self-catheterising as well. It stops your legs from coming in when they're about to do the smear. So also, whenever you go for a smear, ask before you go. Ask if they've got a wider bed and they've got an electric bed, because 99% of the time they've got a bed that is easier to transfer on. But I always take a sliding board and um, sometimes I take my husband, who's my mobile hoist, to help me. (laughs) Um, But don't put it off. Please remember to have it done. The one good thing that I found about getting the smear after after getting out of hospital was because I had lost sensation, it just made it all a doddle. I didn't feel it and she's just <laughs> off you go love. This is great. I felt the same actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually there are one or two things. When you do go for any of those kind of tests or whatever, I'm just something I would have found so private before and been so afraid of and not wanting people to come anywhere near me and I'm just like off you go, nothing you haven't seen before. <laughs> I don't, don't really care. <laughs> Do you know what the a friend asked me? This sounds so silly, but a friend asked me the other day, we were talking about a man and, and I was saying nice things and she's like, oh, did you get the fanny flutters? And I just <gasps> thought, no, no, I didn't. <laughs> That is priceless. I was, I was so sad though. It made me sound like it was supposed to be funny, but then I was like, oh, don't, don't get funny flutters anymore. Was it? So I think it is a traumatic thing that we do. We kind of really I just need to talk about more because it's not, it's not discussed enough. Sharon, do you find that a lot of the women that you speak to, the problems are more psychosexual than anything physical or? Um, I think it's a combination of the two. It's definitely physical. And one of the biggest um, questions or issues in the clinic is about the lack of sensation around the clitoris, the G-spot, the vagina and being able to achieve an orgasm Mm. like they used to have before. Everything is always about comparing what was before and what is now. Yeah. And psychosexual. Actually, that affects so many different things such as libido, 
how you feel about your body image, your confidence as a sexual person and can lead to putting you off wanting to have sex or explore that area with your partner. It becomes like the elephant in the room that you don't want to talk about and then are you having sex to please you or to please your partner or to keep your partner? And I think it's really important from my perspective is that you focus a lot more on the positive things, what they can feel. and It's about empowering them and enabling them again to reclaim their sexuality back, to think of themselves as a sexual person rather than the areas that they can't feel, which will then build up the libido and then make them more receptive to think about that area of life again for the future. So what can people do? Like, what do you advise people that they can do? It's about Concentrate on the areas where you can feel. A lot of the things regarding orgasm and the clitoris and the G-spot is because there's a massive plexus of nerves down there. Mm. There is some research I was talking to Lindsay about, actually, there's that um, one researcher's hypothesised that the actual pathway of the nerves from the clitoris may bypass the spinal cord and go straight to the brain. Because oh. mm. some of the research out there says that about 52% of women will still experience a satisfactory orgasm. I don't agree. Certainly what I see in clinic is not 52% of women experience a normal orgasm. It's very altered, it's dulled, it takes a lot longer to achieve orgasm. So the tips they're doing is around the nipple area, there's a big plexus of nerves. It's about other parts of the body that might be sexually stimulating, such as hypersensitivity. And then when it comes down to the genital area, it's about using sensitive lubricating gels, which are mint-based, to stimulate the areas. And I'm a big fan of sex toys, I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Female vibrators, I encourage my women to use um, vibrators that stimulate the G-spot and the clitoris. And also, penetrative intercourse can be the last point of sex, the whole act. Everything is before, a lot more time on foreplay, exploring each other, using it as a time to explore both of you, not just the individual with a disability. And it can revamp your sex life because if you've been together a long time, you sex takes a certain form that's unspoken about. It's about giving that permission to re-explore each other as sexual beings. That's interesting. Mm, that's great. <laughs> True, it's all about experimentation and open communication, I think, is really important. Yeah, I love that. Lindsay, do you have an active sex life? Yes, I do, yeah. For me, I can't feel the outside, but I can feel the inside, so I still get the flutters. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I get, I get, Yeah, I get the flutters inside, though. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, obviously, being a woman, you know, we don't have to plan it as much as the men, so... You know, being paralysed, obviously the men do have to plan it a little bit more. We're, I suppose, lucky in that in that department. But always make sure, one thing, always make sure you catheterise before you have sex. Can that happen? Like, I heard horror stories. I've, heard, I've heard horror stories too uh, from other <laughs> patients. So, yes, make sure you do catheterise before. But, you know, just make out you're going, yeah, just go and freshen up. Yeah. Go to the toilet. <laughs> And then, yeah, apart from that, yeah, you can still have a great sex life. Um, from other patients, I've heard that using the magic wand apparently mm. is very good. Yeah. Um, you can get I that need from to Love Honey. This. Yes, that it also does really calm your spasms okay. having sex. So that's one bonus. So you, you recommend that everybody just have all the sex? Yeah, just, just have sex. Have all yeah. the sex. Medical advice. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I would say something that I found really important. I'm really prone to UTIs, so like after any 
sex, I would say definitely make sure you're being hygienic and catheterizing or whatever. And, you know, okay. that's just really important. Sometimes they do say do a catheter before and do a catheter after. Mm, just to- and that. But, you know, UTIs in women having sex are common whatever women. Yeah. And that's and perhaps more even more postmenopausal as well. So yeah, that advice is great. Pee before, pee after. <laughs> <laughs> and Sharon, when we talk there about the men having to plan and prepare, obviously one of the things that myself and Grace got annoyed about on our first episode about sex was that the boys were telling us about this vibrator machine that they had tests done, and then they also obviously get Viagra, and there's a lot more available to them. What is available for women? It's a very good point, actually. A lot of the research is more focused towards maintaining and getting an erection, although it obviously doesn't work on ejaculation. Mm-hmm. But as we we talked before about the sex toys, the the toy that they they were talking about, the male vibrator to make them ejaculate, we can do the same with vibrating toys on the clitoris and on the G-spot as well to help achieve orgasm and even female ejaculation as well. Regarding medications, there was a trial on Viagra in women, which we did at Stanmore, with the hypothesis being that it increased the blood flow down to the vagina, which increased lubrication, and it increased the blood flow to the clitoris, so therefore would give you more of a heightened sensation. It was a bit hit and miss if it actually worked. Certainly Viagra is licensed in America for female sexual arousal disorder, which is a form of delayed orgasm. And here in the UK, we as nurses and doctors have been advocating for Viagra for women for a very long time, but it isn't licensed in this country. But you can buy over the counter. But I would obviously have to say, do go and seek medical advice or your pharmacy advice because there are some exclusion criteria for it. From the women that we did in the trial, it didn't necessarily increase their feeling of orgasm, but because they had to have sex every week, their partners were very happy because <laughs> <laughs> that was the study protocol. And that, but I think, you know, as it's, it's Grace was saying, it's, it's about experimentation. So, yes, of course you could use medication, but it's about being open to using different devices, different positions. Remembering that sex isn't just about penetrative intercourse. There are many different ways of having sex and that's and ramping up that sort of foreplay will heighten the experience. I had my mind blown this week, but not in the <laughs> in the way that I would have liked. <laughs> I, I did a little bit of um, you know research for this show, and I just think that nobody should check my search history on my computer <laughs> because <laughs> if I look a little bit weird. But what I didn't know, and I was completely had my, my mind opened, was all the sex toys and aids that are out there that are specifically for people with disabilities, like the cushions and wedges. And I found this like harness thing for stabilising you so that you can get into certain positions. So this all came about because I read a blog post on Disability Horizons um, and it was about how to achieve an amazing orgasm, even if you're disabled or whatever. I'm not. That's obviously not the exact title, but um it was brilliant. It was like going down a rabbit hole. I just <laughs> started discovering all these new things. But one of them was a sex toy shop called the Pleasure Garden, which has a whole section that sells, like, it's about sex and disability. And they supply all of the different aids and things that people might need. And I, I didn't I didn't even know it was there. It was amazing. I also discovered a charity called Enhance the UK, which they have a campaign. Um, the campaign is Undressing Disability. And it's all about sex and disability and trying to you know, 
not have it be this taboo subject, you know. And they've got amazing resources on their website. Their website is enhancetheuk.org and there is a whole section in the website called Sex and Disability. They have information sheets for all ages. It's like from puberty, teenagers, right up to like being older, older people. And they've got diagrams, they've got advice on positions and, you know. So if you're looking for nitty gritty details, I would recommend having a look on there. Okay, that's the number. <laughs> Do you think the NHS would supply cushions, wedges, and sex toys? <laughs> Good argument, because they actually can get really expensive when you look at all these different toys and the wedges and that. I can't um, speak as regards the funding on the NHS <laughs> for that, <laughs> but. Um, yeah, it's worth looking into or through a charity and a sponsorship. I, t- I think that'll be a little bit too embarrassing going into your GP. <laughs> Hi, Actually, I'm looking for a magic wand. <laughs> Lindsay, were you talking about something about payouts? Yeah, I, I was told that if you are having, a co- if you've got a compensation claim, um, you can actually put in for wedges and sex toys and anything that's needed through your compensation claim. Oh, interesting. Interesting. So we talk a lot about partners and having sex with your partner and try this, that and the other with your partner. But flying the flag for the single ladies, you know, we want to have sex just as much as people who have partners. So there is a whole world of like dating and all of that, which is probably something that we need a whole show for at some point. But you, Sharon, you've spoken to me about this before because I was saying, oh, I think I'm going to try online dating. And you recommended it to me. Why is that? Because I met my fiancé on Match.com <laughs> 10 years ago and we're getting married next year. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. Great. I did actually, after the last show, I did go on a few dates from online dating because you guys were all really like, come on, Ruth. Yeah. Yeah, give it a go. Yeah, so I did. I did. Yeah, and, it was, and I was actually pleasantly surprised because I thought, I'm very lucky that I'm a walker, so the wheelchair is obviously another kind of barrier to dating or how people feel about themselves when they're dating. And I suppose the fact that I'm a walker is is a, a little bit easier. But I really thought that, you know, this was going to be an issue. But not one guy that I mentioned, not one of them gave a shit if I was, if I had a stick. I think that's lovely. And I think that's reality is that, um, and people will say to me, how do I meet people? And, you know, in an ideal world, you either have gone to school with them, met them at work or at university or through friends of friends. But for say for example professional people like myself it's difficult to meet someone I don't want to go down a pub and meet someone so what I say to the people that talk to me about it is um, you can try the online sites ideally you could meet someone through a friend or through work but have the same sort of feeling gut feeling inside if it feels right it is right Mm. and if they start to ask silly questions like how do you have sex or go to the toilet that might be a red flag that might not be the right person that you want to be with ideally with a partner you just want to meet someone who's nice who's going to treat you well with respect have the same interests absolutely they don't need to know how you go to the toilet because you wouldn't ask them so why should they ask you yeah absolutely I just encourage all the single ladies to get first of all get support for all the psychosexual issues um, but then just get out there and do your thing and have all the sex like, do you remember Rube <laughs> said before use it or lose it like yeah so I mean just words to live by yeah <laughs> wise words of Rube's <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was thinking actually there was also another bit of paper that I looked I quote when I'm teaching about it says 87% of people post spinal cord injury are sexually active yeah. and I was talking on a 
did a nurse's degree this week actually on spinal injury and I said, I don't think in the general population 87%, 87% of people are actually sexually active. Mm. And I wondered why that was and I thought, well, maybe it's because in the spinal unit we all keep saying to you, do you want to talk about sex? Mm. <laughs> and it's permission to speak and it's permission to think about the topic. Yeah, I don't know. I, f- I didn't find that sex was discussed. Maybe that was just at the time that I was there. And did I, I miss you? Was I on holiday? You did, you did miss me. You did miss I'm me. Really because sorry. We had to, no, it's fine. I got you later. Um, but we had to um, do a little group chat with somebody else and and we really had to fight for it, you know, so it wasn't really talked about that much. It was talked amongst the patients. And then with us, the spinal crap team, when we all became friends, we talk about it amongst ourselves, you know. But um, I, I do try. I do try to talk to people on the ward as well. In your work, you must come across lots of women who need advice about sex. Yes, of course. Yeah, obviously working on the spinal unit. I'm always talking to men and women about their sexual functions and they've always got lots of questions to ask. And I'm just honest and open with them. I think it's so important to talk to people. I think it's really important that, you know, you have that conversation, especially with other spinal patients, because they understand, you know, they know what you're going through. Very quickly then, um, obviously, we can't really talk about women's issues without talking about things like pregnancy and childbirth. None of us have actually given birth since our spinal cord injuries. (laughs) (laughs) But hopefully, uh, I don't know, Potentially Gracie someday. Yeah, it's in the it's in the plan at some point. So when it comes to preparation for that, um I mean it must be I'm I'm addressing this to you really, Sharon, because you, you, you'll know much much more than we probably will. Um it must be quite difficult with things like wheelchairs and getting cushions right and changing bodies and even transferring onto toilets or any of that kind of stuff. How what is your best advice to people who are preparing to get pregnant? Talk to people at your spinal cord injury centre. There are always experts there that can guide you through even things like coming off certain medications that you need to do, um, how to manage your bladder and bowel. The physios and OTs are fantastic to look at your chair, your cushions and help you with the transfers, particularly as you get bigger and it becomes more difficult and you get more tired. Um, But certainly... Obviously, people will get pregnant necessarily without planning it. It's not too late. Still come back and talk to us about that. And then if you're planning a pregnancy, get all the information first. And we're really there to help you, to guide you through what's something, a very normal part of life and a very natural part of life. And I'm very pro demedicalizing it and make it very more natural. Absolutely. I think you having peer support as well. You know, there's going to be other people who's gone through the same situation as you. So use SIA, maybe back up, ask for some peer support. And um, after my injury, I spoke to a lady that had had three children after her injury. And it made me think, well, if she's gone through the pregnancy in three pregnancies and she's continuing being a parent, you know. Anybody can do it. Anyone can do it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I have a final question for you, Sharon. You must come across all sorts of weird and wonderful things in your day-to-day work. <laughs> Tell us a funny story. <laughs> it's the ones that you can put on air, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I think certainly what I've learned in gosh, about 15, 17 years of doing the sex clinic at Stanmore is how to keep a straight face <laughs> and not react <laughs> and just keep smiling. And I do remember a couple that came in to see me. He was tetraplegic. And then there was another lady that came in with them. I assumed perhaps it was the PA. And I was about to say, do you want to step outside the room and wait while I talk to this 
couple mm-hmm. and it turned out she was the third person in the relationship oh, and wow. had been for 20 years <laughs> and I thought well do you know what good for them that is brilliant and amazing that their sex life involves three people and they were wanting to sit and chat to me about how they could reclaim that back after I mean, there's his spinal injury. a lot of logistics injury. involved yeah, there with three another person. Yeah. I, I possibly couldn't even imagine without watching a film or something but <laughs> not having experienced it myself but, but I'm open to helping anyone in any way that I possibly can. <laughs> Fabulous. All right. Thank you so much, girls. We are now going to play a game. Yay! I'm so intrigued by, by what you've got there. It is, yes. Yeah. So it's Wheel or No Wheel that we introduced last week. Let me explain how this works, girls, right? Each of you gets a box. Thank Here we go. you. We all get a box. There will be pictures on social media, guys, so have a look. I'm really looking forward to this. I'm also taking one. Now, this is a game for our guests. And so we will start with you, Lindsay. You can go first. It's called Wheel or No Wheel. It's just exactly like Deal or No Deal. Like exactly, as you can see from the standard of the lovely boxes. <laughs> now, inside each box, there is a picture. Okay. One of them contains a wheel. You have to, one by one, pick out your boxes and then the person you pick opens their box. And if it's the wheel, you have to go head to head against that person. If you get the wheel, you win straight away. Okay, so if the wheel is in your box, you win straight away and you win this wonderful, beautiful mug, (laughs) the Spinal Crap mug. Um, If you get the wheel, you win. If somebody else has the wheel, you then have to go head to head and I will ask you the silliest question I can find. And the person who gets closest to the answer wins the question. Win that to get the mug. If you don't win it, you go home empty handed. I, that was a really long-winded way of explaining the game, wasn't it? Sorry, guys. Okay, so first of all, Lindsay, pick out the person you want to start with. You can't. You can't start with yourself. You have to leave yourself to last. Grace. <gasps> Open your box, Grace. Dun, 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 dun. Sorry, I'm struggling here. Dun, dun. Oh, I've got a flower. Oh, okay, cool. Beautiful. So that's so. There's only two of us left God to knock out, Lindsay. Who are you going to pick? Sharon. Oh gosh. I've got a house. A house. <gasps> okay, so there's me and you. Me and you, Lindsay. Do you want to swap drawings, or do you want to keep it? <laughs> Thanks. I'm going to keep it. You're going to keep oh, it. Yeah. Okay, cool, cool. So is it my turn to open the box? Yes. I have a poo. <laughs> That's a very bad attempt at drawing an emoji, a poo emoji. I think I'll get a brown marker next time and uh, make yeah, it actually that doesn't look, look like healthy. a poo. And I'm just realising I may not have set this game up properly, but go on. What's in your book? <laughs> I have oh, the wheel. wheel. You have the wheel. Yes, I'm so excited. And that wasn't a setup. That was true. Fab. Okay, cool. You go home with the gorgeous spinal crop oh, mug. Yes. Congratulations. So, do we have all the boxes? And so we are going to play it with Sharon. Oh, cool. Would you like to win a spinal crop mug? It would be the epitome of my life to win that mug. I've seen it. It's gorgeous. <laughs> They are pretty cool. In case anybody hasn't checked out our mug, it's a beautiful, regular kitchen mug with a poo emoji on it. And it says, after this brew, I'm off for my morning poo. And it's got the lovely Spinal Crap logo on the back of it. So it's very exciting. I'm going to keep it on display if I get it. (laughs) 
Okay, so who would you like to open the box first? Lindsay. <laughs> I have a person. <laughs> oh, Sharon drew that. <laughs> Is that your drawing? It's supposed to be me. <laughs> Okay. It's like a devil. <laughs> I don't know why it looks like. Well, let's call it a devil. <laughs> okay, great. So it's not a wheel. That's good news. So Sharon, who would you like to pick next? Ruth. <gasps> I've got the wheel. Oh. Now, this is where it gets a bit awkward because I actually know the answer to the question. So um, didn't think that one through, did I? Okay, I will ask. And if you get within five I will give you the mug um, on average how many times a day does a human being laugh if it was me about 110 <laughs> <laughs> tricky one I'm going to go for 100 mm, no actually that's quite sad it's actually 15 oh that is sad, sad. let's go on let's, let's, let's have a different question because that's a sad one. <laughs> oh, this is good Swedish artist Anders Weberg is making the world's longest movie at the moment. It's going to be out in 2020. What is its running time? The longest movie? I think the longest movie was Lord of the Rings, wasn't it? Oh no, this is far longer. I'm going to go for six hours. It is 720 (gasps) hours, which is 30 days. Oh my God. You would need a new break several times Because I totally didn't set that question up properly. (laughs) You are getting the mug. (laughs) You're getting the mug. Thank you. Everybody wins today. Everybody's getting a mug. (laughs) Fab. Okay. Brilliant. So because Chris isn't here, I'm going to take over his job. Hopefully I'll do it better than him and then I'll... (laughs) So what we're going to do now is the really clever question. And we have one from Jen from Cornwall. She says, I have really bad nerve pain. It disturbs my sleep and affects my mood. I take medication, but are there any other things that I can do to help? Well, I started off trying to use TENS machines, which I didn't find helpful, which I'm sorry, Jen, that's probably not the best advice, but it was just because sometimes it's just too bad. (laughs) The TENS machine isn't going to cut it. But I do find distraction is a good... I mean, obviously there's medication, but, you know, that's something you need to speak to your doctor about. And I do find that that is obviously helpful. But, yeah, I think distraction is the way that I get through it. How about you? I think exercising and stretch... Stretch as much as you can, you know, if you've got the opportunity, get out of your wheelchair, have a lay on your front. That really helps me. We talked about before, didn't we, about medication, perhaps different medication to try for the pain. Because I think probably if it's at night time, then that's the time when your brain is at peace and supposed to be resting. So therefore the pain becomes more dominant. Talking about distraction during the day, you can distract yourself and carry on. But it might be worth going back and also speaking to the people that she speaks to, pain specialists, quite a few pain specialists are attached to spinal units to see what more could be done during the night because it's really important she gets a good night's sleep for her muscles and also for her mental health as well. But then probably shouldn't say perhaps alternative medicines because <laughs> I'm quite, as we talked before, I'm quite into oil-based massages using sandalwood and stuff like that. We talked yeah. about smells in yeah, the room. Yeah. We talked about perhaps some re- deep relaxation. You can get some apps deep relaxation which I use and others use I do I use the app Calm which is so do yeah, I it's, it's paid brilliant. for one which I was a bit dubious about but it's absolutely brilliant and I also spray my pillow every night with uh, sandalwood and patchouli oil oh it is just it's very relaxing 
Yeah, I use one out of boots. I oh, use yeah. a lavender one out of boots, which is really nice. I mean, I think, no, I think that's a really good point, Sharon. I think it's really important to look at, like, alternatives to medicine. I feel like when I came out of Stanmore, I was sort of on all this medication and I thought, I don't really want to do this long term. If if I can, I'd like to kind of cut down on, like, my, you know, nerve pain medication and stuff like that. So you've got to speak to your doctor. And I, but I personally find CBD oil to be quite helpful um, with nerve pain. But there's a lot of options out there. I just think it's important to get an informed choice. With CBD yeah. oil then, is it difficult to find? Because there's some that are like supposed to be like pure and some that are less pure. And there's, there's loads of conversations about where to get the best one or what, what kind of one to get. But are there kind of dodgy ones out there? So I know nothing about it at all. You can actually go to some websites and get samples. So there's um, there's quite a few websites yeah, out there yeah. that give samples. So I would I would sample it before because they're quite expensive. Yeah. So so try some first. I think it's important to make an informed choice. So do do your research. It's a growing. It's quite a new market, and so I think a lot of yeah a lot of companies are sort of grabbing onto that. And there's there's a whole range of capsules and oils and teas and everything. So do your research, try some samples. I think it's really important because, you know, I'm not against it at all, but make sure what you're getting is the right stuff. Mm. That's the first thing. Can you trust the source it's coming from? But do speak to your specialist as well to make sure it doesn't interact with any other medication yeah, that you are. Yeah, that's very true. Or if it would interfere with any other diagnosis that you might have. One other thing um, for, like, spasms and calm your legs of a night time, magnesium oil is very good mm-hmm. to spray on your legs just before you go to sleep. Okay, that's good to know. Or have sex. Or have sex. Have sex. <laughs> and that is just the answer to everything, isn't it? So that's it. Coming to the end of the show, our message to everybody is just have sex. <laughs> really? Yay, girls, it was lovely to have you here. Lindsay, Sharon, thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. It's been lovely. Oh, I hope you enjoy your mugs and we look forward to hopefully seeing you again very soon. Yeah. So for now, this is Spinal Crap. Bye. Thanks for listening to This Is Spinal Crap and thank you to our sponsors Coloplast. If you like this week's show, please be sure to subscribe and follow us on social media.